0: You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, Luke 15 is where we're going to be, so go ahead and flip there if you want. Luke chapter 15. Uh, Last week, Laura and I were in Lubbock. Enough said, huh? Enough said, that's right. it it is proof, and by the way, it's great to be back, right? And so uh, it it is proof that there is always something to be thankful for. Regardless of how bad your life gets, always be thankful that it's not that bad in Lubbock, right? So it it could always get worse. Actually, I kind of feel weird weird saying this, but it actually kind of grew on me while I was there. I actually became a little bit more of a Red Raider, surprisingly. And so uh, we we got the chance to do a wedding out there, and I got a chance to preach at one of my um, friends, his church there. And uh, I, I sat on the, the second row uh, before I was preaching, just kind of before the, the whole service started, and got to, to know a guy at his church. His name was Mikey. And he uh, I basically just tried to get to know him, kind of recounting his story, how'd you get here, all that. And two years previous to that morning, uh, last Sunday, he would have considered himself an atheist, and uh, he had a, a family move in next to him that went to Redeemer, um, the church that I was preaching at. They got to know him, invited invited him into their home group. God grabs his heart, saves him in the midst of that, and here we are, two years later. I'm watching him pray and read his Bible before the service begins. I mean, I pray that God would give us great stories of God's grace like that, right? Um, that God would fill our place with those with those sort of things. So it is great to be back with you, though. Luke chapter 15 is where we are, so let's jump back in. Verse 11 is where we're starting. Um, talking uh, from Jesus here, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Let me just remind you that there's two sons in this parable. It's not a story of one son. There's two sons in there. You've got the younger son, representative of the tax collectors and sinners. Um, he is the guy that he is seeking freedom by breaking all the rules. And then you've got the older son. He's the guy seeking freedom by keeping all the rules. But here's the truth about both sons that the story begins. Neither of them are looking for their freedom in their father. And because of that, they're both lost. So the story has two lost sons in it. Um, Keep going here. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless or prodigal living. Prodigal, spendthrift, excessive living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that field who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the, pit, uh, with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Verse 17 is a key. This first phrase is key. But when he came to himself, see our rebellious runner, the grace of God has tracked him down. It has pursued him. It's caught him. And it's literally wrestled him down to the ground. And in an act of grace, God has brought him to his senses. He's awakened this guy. It's like he's been reborn. It's like he sees the world through a whole different lens. It says he's come to his senses. Now, I want you to watch who takes center stage in his first thought after. he comes to his senses. His first clear thought, who it centers on. Look at what it says here. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, look look who's in this thought. He said, how many of my father's Hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. See, his first thought of of, after he's come to himself centers on the grace and mercy of his father. And then he makes his repentance plan. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So the grace of God has awakened this repentance in our rebellious man, and now he's returning. Our prodigal is returning as a repentant man. Okay, now this return trip from the prodigal, this sets up the entire point of the passage. It, it sets up everything Jesus is trying to communicate. It's, it's set up from the, the rebellion of our young man and then his return. Because now we're about to get this seed, this played out. How will the father respond to his rebellion? I mean, how's the father going to respond to the shame and humiliation? All, how he's been wronged and and all the wounds that his son has created in him. How will he respond to that? And here's what we're about to see play out in front of us. We're about to see the forgiveness of the father. What we're about to see, this father cancel the debt of his son. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to try to def- define forgiveness for you. I want you to watch it play out in how God deals with his wayward sons and daughters. And then I want to kind of press it into y'all and ask you the question, does your does your forgiveness mirror? Is it motivated out of this forgiveness that we see and how God deals with us? So he- here's the first step that, that we need to take this morning, defining forgiveness. Like what is it when we say forgiveness? What does that mean? And just to preface this, I'm not going to give you a, a detailed description of forgiveness because it's complicated. In pastoral care situations, forgiveness is the most common kind of counseling pastoral care issue that I face just on a week-in and week-out basis. And every one of them are complicated. What forgiveness looks like tangibly in this specific circumstance it's, it, it's a tough, it's always tough. There, there's always a lot of nuances to it. But here's what I want to do. In this definition, I want to give you something that is short and memorable, that, that maybe the Holy Spirit will even stick in your brain, that cuts right to the core of what forgiveness is. When you peel back all the layers and you get to the center of what forgiveness is, I think that this definition will get you real close to it. And here would be mine. Forgiveness is canceling someone else's debt. It's canceling another person's debt. It's taking the wounds and the wrongs that have been inflicted upon you and it's canceling those things. And when we say cancel those, we mean that you assume those. It's not like you put that debt on somebody else and make them pay it. It means that you assume it, that you absorb it, that that debt that you are canceling becomes your debt to wear, that those wounds that have been inflicted upon you become your wounds that you wear. You absorb those. I think one of the best illustrations of this is in the Old Testament with the story of Joseph. Do y'all remember that story? Where um, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Now that's some bad brothers right there, right? That is worse than being in Lubbock right there, right? You got those brothers, it's bad news. And so um, you've got a man that is sold into, into slavery. And, and then do you remember the domino effect of, of his brother's actions, of his brother's wrongs, of the wounds that they had given to him? It gets worse for him. He is falsely accused by a crazy lady. He's put into prison. He's forgotten there for, listen to this, for years of his life, he is forgotten. Now, take a second to stop on that. You get thrown into prison tomorrow, falsely accused, and years of your life go by. How would you handle that? And do you remember later on in the story when, when Joseph has his brothers over kind of the proverbial, um, cro- like he, they're in the crosshairs, right? He's got the gun up. He, he could inflict a wound on them that is far greater than the wound they inflicted on him, right? He, he's in that position. He's the second command in Egypt. He could literally do anything he wants with them. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. Do you remember what he does? He lowers his gun. He, he, he absorbs all of their wrongs all the wrongs that they had had done against him, inflicted upon him. He says, you do not have to pay those wrongs. I will pay those for you. I will bear all of those wounds for you. Do you remember that? See, this is what forgiveness is. It is canceling a person's debt so we no longer wish for their worst, but we actually wish them well. See, it, it's it's canceling debt to the point that we no longer have like a shut off relationship, but when they repent, we're actually open for reconciliation. We're open, like we reopen the relationship to the possibilities here. Do you see this? We, we no longer want their wrath and, and for them to experience all of our wrath and revenge, but we actually now, when we have canceled their debt, want to relieve their suffering. See, when we cancel debt, you know what it does? It gives us now a new longing to love. This is forgiveness. And that that's painful, isn't it? I mean, th- this is painful stuff, especially when you start getting into deep, dark issues and wounds that have been done against us. When you start talking Joseph-type stuff, that, that is painful to do. It's canceling debt, assuming debt. It's absorbing the debt that someone else has accrued against us. Okay, now we're about to watch this play out in the Father. We're about to see the Father's forgiveness here. Now, I want to remind you before, before we um, kind of tear into this and start reading through this, This is not just some random father and some random wayward son. When you're reading, and as we kind of study through this and work through this this morning, this is a picture of how God has forgiven you. It's a picture of how God has absorbed your debt. It's a picture of how God has assumed all of your wrongs and all of the wounds. He he has assumed those, he has absorbed those, and he is wearing those on your behalf. He's forgiven you. This is a picture, if you're a Christian, what you're about to see is how God has dealt with you, his wayward son or his wayward daughter. And if you're not a Christian in the room, I just want to encourage you with this. You're about to see a picture of God's full and final forgiveness that's offered to you. You're about to see a picture of that. Okay, so the Father's forgiveness. Pick it up in verse 20 here. Here's what it says. And the son, the wayward son, he arose and came to his father. And this is the response of his father toward him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and it says that they began to celebrate let me just point out four or five different things when you think about the father's forgiveness and attributes of it that you see in this passage here's the first one for you that the father's forgiveness was assertive it was aggressive it was forceful now now let me stop and, and ask you the question that if you were the father in this parable If this was you that it was talking about, you're you're the one that has been wronged. You're the one that has been abused. You're the one that the wound literally just, I mean, leveled right at your heart and breaks you into pieces. And and all of a sudden you see the offender coming back over the horizon. How do you respond to that? I mean, what is your response to to that sin? See, I think for a lot of us, our response would be much different. I think for a lot of us, our response would go like this. As soon as we see the offender coming back and we're the dad in this situation, we're probably thinking something like this. Well, he probably wants some more money. He's probably back for another buck. A third of the inheritance is probably not enough for him. He probably wants a little bit more. Or or maybe he's coming back to rub this in my face. He's already kind of publicly humiliated me. Maybe he's coming back to do it one more time. He's already shamed me. Maybe he's coming back to shame me one more time. So what I'll do is I I see him on the horizon, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit on the porch and I'm going to make him walk all the way to me. And, and then when he gets to the, to the bottom of the stairs, I'm going to make him crawl up this set of stairs. And then when he gets kind of to the top landing here, when he gets on the porch with me, I'm going to make him bend down and kiss my feet. And I'm going to make him pull out that handwritten letter that's got every kind of portion and every part of every sin that he's ever committed against me. I'm going to make sure he's got all of that down, all of that in writing, all of that is, is published for the world to see. And then after I've ripped through him with some words, then, and maybe then we can talk about forgiveness. Maybe then. But do you see how much different God's forgiveness is? That that God does not wait in this. God sees him on the horizon and it says that he felt compassion for him. And he ran off the porch and he runs to him. And he actually embraces him and kisses him. I mean, isn't that an amazing picture? He he doesn't sit on the porch. He sprints to go get the son. I mean, isn't this amazing picture of God, God doesn't halt and he's not hesitant in his forgiveness? He doesn't put it off and procrastinate in it. That he is assertive in the way he forgives. He runs after us in his forgiveness. He doesn't sit on the porch waiting for us to approach. He is the approacher. And let this just be a gospel reminder for us this morning. If you are a person that this morning you're forgiven from your sins, do you know why that is? it is because God has ran off the porch and he has run to you, he's embraced you and he's kissed you and he's forgiven you. That he's always taken that first step towards you. If you're forgiven, it is because God has run off the porch taking the first step. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the forgiveness of the father? It's assertive, it's forceful, it's aggressive. It comes after us, thank God, right? And there's more though. It's not just aggressive. It's also sacrificial. It's sacrificial. The father's forgiveness is, is sacrificial. Okay, so I want you to think about um, how the son has wronged the father. There, there's maybe two different ways you could think about this. Way number one is, is, he is he's robbed the father financially. He, he's, he's, he's in a debt now to the father financially. He's, he's asked for his share of the inheritance and he's squandered it on reckless living. So he is indebted now financially, but there's more to it. He's also wronged and wounded the father socially. I think maybe as a picture of what happens in this parable as, as the uh, younger son asks for the inheritance, what would be maybe akin to the younger son um, dragging the father into the public square, stripping him naked and asking all the community to come out and watch it. This this is my dad. This is the sort of shame and humiliation that came with this. So it's not only a, a debt financially that, that he's um, accrued to the father, but it's also a social thing. That, that he has shamed the father. He has publicly humiliated the father. And this is why when the son comes back, he knows that there's this dual debt going on. And, and what does he say? He says, um, hire me. That, that's an effort to repay financially. And then he says, don't, don't make me a son. Make me a servant. I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He, he's in effect saying, I, I want to try to repay the social capital that you've lost, that, that I've cut down from you. Okay, now in this moment, I want you to think about the father's options. He has two options in this moment. He can do one of two things. One is he can, he can take revenge on his son and make the son pay for his debt. Yeah. Not only are you going to be a hired servant, you're going to be at the bottom rung of the hired servants. And not only am I going to kind of heap this shame on you, I'm going to drag you back inside, inside the public square now. I'm going to strip you naked and and call all, all, you know, all the village to come out and take a look. See, he's got that option. He can go the revenge route. He can say, you know what? I'm going to make you pay for your debt. Or he can look at his son and say, I will pay the debt for you. I will wear the wounds that you have inflicted upon me. I will wear those things for you. That they will stop with me. Your debt is canceled. Okay, now I want you to watch in verse 22 what the father does. And remember, the son is right in the middle of his repentant speech here, right? I mean, he is right in the middle of, make me a hired servant, I'm no longer worthy, right in the middle of all that. And then look at verse 22. The, the father interrupts him, cuts him off, right? Cuts him off and says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. You see what just happened? all attempts to make the son repay him are all done away with. He looks at the son and essentially is saying, you are no longer in debt to me. All the debt that you have accrued against me, I am absorbing that. I am canceling that. And more than that, I'm not just canceling your debt. I'm gonna graciously give you some things now. So servants, grab the ring, get the robe, get the shoes, get the fatted calf, I'm forgiving him. He's back inside the family. Do you see what just happened? Rather than making the son pay for the debt, the father looks at him and he assumes it. Okay, now I think this is a really important just distinction and just a nuance that that you have when it comes to forgiveness, that this is inside of your brain. In this way, when you come to the sacrificial nature of forgiveness, when you talk about assuming a person's debt, wearing the wound that they have inflicted upon you, you taking that and wearing that wound, in that way, Forgiveness is always a form of suffering. Isn't that interesting to think about? That, that for, What forgiveness is, is it's choosing to walk down the way of Jesus and it's choosing to suffer in his wake. Forgiveness is always a form of suffering. See, when you forgive someone, you are saying, I will pay that for you. And depending on how deep that wound goes, that payment, it, it can feel like a crushing weight, can't it? I mean, that is severe suffering that you are called to walk through. See, see, when the father, when the father welcomed the son back in, when he forgave the son, it was at great cost to himself. So can we just have another gospel reminder moment here? If you are a Christian and you have been forgiven from your sins, if you have been cleansed from your sin, although that was free to you, that came at great cost to Jesus, didn't it? And that came at great cost to Jesus. That came at the cost of Jesus crawling upon a cross and being crucified for it. Like literally on the cross. And think about this. When, when you look at the wounds of Jesus on the cross, that those wounds, that was God's means to absorb your wrongs. Do you see that? When Jesus was beaten on the cross, when when, when the nails went through his hands, when his when his blood was spilled for you, every sarcastic and mocking word toward him— All of those wounds were to absorb your wrongs. It was very costly. It was a sacrificial act. When you think of the gospel, the gospel is the good news that Jesus on the cross absorbs the wrath of God for you so you can have a welcome. That The good news of the gospel is that Jesus on the cross takes all the rage of the Father so you can have the robe and you can have the ring. See, the good news of the gospel is on the cross, Jesus, he absorbs all the pain of your sin and all the pain of your wrongs toward God. So now you can have the pursuing affection of God. You can have the costly and precious forgiveness of God. Do you see that? The Jesus didn't crawl up on the cross because he deserved it. He crawled up on the cross because forgiveness demanded it. Because it is costly. It is sacrificial. If you are a Christian, you're a Christian at great cost to God. If you are a child of God, you have been adopted into the family at great cost to Jesus. Forgiveness is always sacrificial. There is a reason, there's a reason Jesus is called the suffering servant. Because he suffered greatly, sacrificed greatly to secure your forgiveness. The, the father's forgiveness, it's sacrificial. Um, another one. The father's forgiveness is surprising. It's surprising. It's shocking. When you think about how this story plays out, it is a shocking picture of forgiveness. Um, Okay, so so work with me here. Jump into the first century context. If you were in that listening circle and you were to listen to Jesus outline the rebellion of the prodigal, there would not be like a word big enough and severe enough and brutal enough to describe how you would feel toward him. As you listen to him, um, ask for the inheritance, squander it with reckless living, recklessly waste all of it, as you heard him um, hire himself out to a Gentile um, feeding pigs, as you heard all that happen, you would be thinking in your mind, this guy is there, is, there is no phrase, there is no word that I could use to describe this man. He is beyond despicable. He's beyond detestable. He is beyond all of that. Now here is the turn, like listen to this. This is the turning point in the story if you are the listening crowd. What they're thinking when the son returns home is something like this. Well, finally, this story can be made right. The father should have shamed him on the front end, but since he didn't do it then, our father can kind of get a hold of him now. He can kind of jerk a knot in him now. Now he can get the gun and literally kill him. Now he can get the club and beat away on this guy. See, they're expecting at this return of the prodigal, they're expecting for this father to absolutely humiliate this guy, to shame him. Everything he bore to dish out. That's what they're expecting. And then all of a sudden they hear words like he ran off the porch. He ran. They they hear words like embrace. They hear words like kiss. Okay, now listen. At that moment, the, the person that would be described as detestable, as shameful, as reckless, as prodigal in the story shifts from this younger son to the father. See, it's at this moment that the listening circle would almost be like rising up in a yell here and saying, this cannot happen. A father cannot do that to a son that has shamed him in that way. It is shameful for him not to shame the son. It's humiliating that the father did not humiliate the son. The father cannot do this. The father is too reckless in how he dispenses grace. The father is too reckless in how he gives forgiveness. See, that listening circle at this point, if anyone is the prodigal, it is the father who is who is just as a spendthrift, excessively, extravagantly giving grace to somebody who in their mind did not deserve it. Wake up call with the gospel. If you're a forgiven man, woman in the room, is that scandalous to you? Is that shocking to you? Surprising? That just as, as the father w- would bring back in, welcome in this wayward son, that God would look at you, wayward son and daughter, abused him, wounded him, wronged him, humiliated him, shamed him that he would look at you, a man or woman that does not deserve it. You did not earn it. You've done everything in your power to disqualify yourself from it and he would lavish it on you. In the words of uh this is the words of, of Ephesians 1, that that in his in his grace, his redemption, he lavishes grace upon you. He is a prodigal in it. He is reckless in it. He's reckless in the way that, that He He extravagantly gives His grace to the rebellious and the self-righteous. Does that shock you? Is that I mean there's a reason reason grace is amazing, right? I mean, is grace amazing to you that God would look at you and give that sort of grace to you, that you are the wayward son here, and that God would look at you and say, I'm running after that man, after that woman, embracing, kissing, forgiving them, welcoming them into, does that shock you? See, the forgiveness of the Father is shocking. Everyone in the crowd's looking at this saying, no way that just happened. And if you've got eyes to see clearly your salvation, you're saying, no way that just happened. The forgiveness of the father, it's shocking. The forgiveness of the father, it began with, with a proper posture. Now I wanna to try to explain this because for me, this is one of the most amazing things in the story. Um, talking about this posture of the father toward the son. I, I am amazed, if I've read through this story, you know, over the last couple of weeks, um, and even this week, again, getting ready for this section, here's what's one of the most amazing things for me is upon first glance at the prodigal, that the father is instantly filled with compassion at first glance, no hesitation, no hesitancy. He runs after to meet him and to embrace him and to forgive him. That's amazing to me. Because I'm sure that if I'm the father, my first glance would be, okay, there he is. Now get the club because I'm about to beat this guy to death. I'm positive that would be my my first glimpse of this. So when you think about how is it that the father... Upon first glance, is filled with compassion. Upon first glance, runs to meet him. How can he do that? I want you to listen to to these words of one pastor. He, He says it this way in explaining what's happening in his heart. He said, if the father spent all those months clobbering the son in his heart, when the son showed up, he would have clobbered him. The reason the father kissed him when he saw him, or when he saw... The the reason the father kissed him when he saw uh, him is is because of this. For all of those months, he had been kissing him in his heart. And do you see what what we're getting at here? The posture of forgiveness. I want you to picture the man or woman that you've got a grudge against. I mean, you you know the person. We probably don't have to press too deep into that. Like you think about them right now, and you just got a little bit of of rage that just kind of subtly creeps to the surface. You know know the person right now. Do you know the only way when that person repents that you will be able to, to, to forgive them, to reconcile with them, is when you stop clobbering them in your heart? That's the only way. The only way you can posture yourself in such a way that when repentance happens, there can be great reconciliation The only way for you to do that, the only way when the son shows up at your doorstep that you don't clobber him, you don't kill him, you actually have compassion and you want to embrace him. The only way that can happen is for you to let go of that grudge, for you to drop the club, and for you to become compassionate toward them. Okay, now, now let me say this about the posture of the father towards the son. It was not dependent upon the sun. Do you, now do you see this? It is not dependent upon the sun. The sun is still in the far country when, he, when his heart has is, is got compassion, that the sun is not yet repentant, that the sun has not done anything yet to, to show I am back and I want into the sun has done none of those things. Now listen, this posture of compassion toward a person that has wronged you, that has wounded you. That posture of compassion has nothing to do with their actions or lack thereof. It has nothing to do with whether or not they are repentant. It has nothing to do whether are, with whether or not their repentance is authentic. It has nothing to do with anything about them. Your posture toward them has everything to do with your view of God. Now, can you see God's posture toward you before you were repentant because of the work of Jesus that he is kind towards you. He is compassionate toward you. This is what Romans 2 means when Paul says, the kindness of God leads you to repentance. You see the forgiveness of God, how it's postured in such a way that because of the work of, of Jesus for you, that God is, he's benevolent to, to you. He's good towards you. He's compassionate towards you. You see that forgiveness in the gospel? That posture that God has in the gospel toward us? And lastly, I want to show you the fruit of this forgiveness, the fruit of the Father's forgiveness. If you look at verse 23, it says this, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The Father's forgiveness brought like new life in this young man. Like it was almost as if he was reborn. He's reawakened. Like he is revived here. Okay, now when, when you see the word death and life, it's not talking about a, a physical death. When a son would rebel in this sort of just a grievous way with the Jewish family, they would pronounce over him a Kaddish. It was basically a formal prayer, like a funeral prayer, like formally recognizing that this son is dead to us. He has left our community. He has chosen to walk outside of this family. And so here's what's happening when you see he's dead, but is now alive. The the father is looking at this and he's saying, this is the fruit of forgiveness. He is now welcomed back into the family. The communal separation that had happened, the family separation that was there, it is now all abolished. He is back in. He is now a part of us. He is now reinstated as a son. This is the picture. Now, do you see the gospel in that? That the fruit of of God's forgiveness for you, do you see what it does for you? I I love the the phrase in Ephesians 2 where it's going to say that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Do you see the effects of God's forgiveness? That it has an enlivening effect, an awakening effect That that when God forgives you, you're reinstated into the family of God. Now you're an heir of God. Now you're a part of God's family. You're a son or a daughter of God. This is the fruit of God's forgiveness for you. It's got these awakening effects on people. Okay, now we're going to finish by pressing this down just a real practical level and asking the question of what does this forgiveness look like? And what does this forgiveness um, mean for our faith family, for the Stonegate body, for, for this crew, for this church family? What does what is, what is that forgiveness that we just looked at mean for us here? And I, I want to maybe take this in, in two sections. And by the way, there, there is nothing more practical to talk about than forgiveness. No, nothing more practical. That There are a few things in your life that, that surface more often than unforgiveness. And, and so here, here's the first thing I want to tell you is we just kind of work through what, what are the effects of this for our church family here? that if you're a part of this faith family, if you're part of this crew here, like you're coveting your life to, to walk with us, it requires constant forgiveness. Forgiveness is constantly required of you. Constantly required. I, I read this statement um, this last week from a guy um, writing on forgiveness, and he said this. Mo- now, I want you to listen to this. Most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. Most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. Now, I think that's a really interesting statement. I, I, I would lean towards thinking that's true. Like, when you start thinking about all the effects of what unforgiveness produces in your life, it's staggering. The bitterness it causes, the resentment it causes. I mean, we could, we could go down, we could go down the, the line here. Just that the, the meanness and the malice that it causes, right? The anger that it causes, that the hurtful words that it causes, unforgiveness has drastic effects in your life. It, unforgiveness is like putting a nuclear bomb in your relationships. Just waiting for it to explode. Okay, now I want to take that statement, that quote one step further, and I think it would be just as appropriate to say this. Most of the ground that Satan gains in the life of a church is due to unforgiveness. See, when you become a part of a church family, it it is as if you just married a group of people. And as soon as you walk into a marriage, it's not long before you're wronged, is it? It's interesting this week as I was looking for chapters to read on forgiveness. You know where I went to find chapters on forgiveness? Marriage books. Every marriage book that I own has a chapter on forgiveness. And there's a reason for that. Because when you start living through and with a person or a group of people, it's not long before you start rubbing each other in wrong ways, before I really hack you off, before I say something that really offends and wounds you, and you say something that really offends and wounds me. It's not long before that happens. I mean, you can just look around in this room. You see these people in here? I mean, they're great people, but I'm just telling you, it's just going to be moments before they, they wound you deeply. And see, forgiveness is constantly required. If forgiveness does not find its way into this faith family, then we will be ruined. We have no hope of surviving. If forgiveness does not find its way to the bottom of your heart and my heart, then then churches do not, they don't survive. Okay, now I want you to think about in Ephesians chapter four, um, Paul says this, that we're to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. So I I think there's one element of that where our forgiveness should mirror the Father's forgiveness for us. And so let me just ask you the questions this morning. Does your forgiveness mirror how God has forgiven you? Specifically, are you assertive in your forgiveness? Are you assertive? See, this is totally foreign to to most people, even even Christian people. Assertive forgiveness. See, we've got a world of people and a world of Christians who wait on the porch for forgiveness to happen. Would would y'all y'all seeing that 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 everyone is on the porch? See, and this is there's there's a lot of reasons why this is a bad idea to wait on the porch and not be aggressive in your forgiveness. And here's one reason: because they're on the porch too. Do you know that? That you're not the only one on the porch. they're on the porch as well so so when your self-talk sounds like this hey they know where they can find me i've lived right here for 15 years they know my address they've got my my number they can find me anytime they want me just know that their self-talk sounds like this they know they've wronged me they know where i live they know my address they know myself they get they anytime they want me i'm right here and you say how is it that people can think that way listen they're human right This is what sin does to people. It blinds us of our own sin and magnifies it in other people. So see, everyone's on the porch. See, are are you staying on the porch and you're forgiven? And here's why this is such a bad problem. That everyone is on the porch, Christians included, while the world's going to hell. Now is that sobering? I mean, that's sobering for me because my tendency is to stay on the porch too. But it's a bad idea, not only because everyone's on the porch, but listen, staying on the porch is not the way of the kingdom of God. It's not the way of the kingdom of God. It is not how you have been forgiven. God did not stay on the porch with you. He initiated, he ran after, he made sure when there was a problem that he ran after the solution. I think it's interesting in Matthew 18, this is one of the the primary chapters on like relational repairs in the Bible. Like what happens when you're sinned against? Now, I want you to listen to, to how that section starts out. Matthew 18, verse 15 starts this section. This is how it starts out. When you have been sinned against, when you've been sinned against by someone, by brother. Okay, so that means you have been offended. You've been wounded. You've been wronged. When you have been sinned against, here's the next word in the, in the next phrase. Go. Isn't that interesting? It's always your move. It's never not your move. Do you, you know that? That it's always your first move. That God has called you to be aggressive in that, assertive in that, forceful in that. So so let me ask you the question, because this is what happens when people stay on the porch and they, they don't make moves toward one another. What happens is relationships start to grow cold. They gradually just kind of get pushed down. They gradually start to kind of be suppressed. They, they gradually start to grow apart. Any relationships in your life, life that are gradually growing apart right now? You know why they're growing apart? People are on the porch. Any relationship that, that are just cooling off for you. The, the first move is always yours. So it, it's assertive. Is yours? Are you assertive in the way you forgive? Are you, okay, how about this one? Are you sacrificial in the way you forgive? I, I was sitting around are uh, in a room with, with seven other men here recently. And uh, two of those eight guys in the room shared stories of, man, I, like I was kind of almost like a jaw-dropping moment. Like, are you serious? Out of eight people in here, two shared serious stories of sexual abuse. And I know that's in this room. I know that's in the room. I know deep betrayal is in the room. I know affair is in the room. I know all of these things are in the room. And so, I I want you to hear that this isn't like flippant cliches. I I feel the weight of the words and the weight of the demands that forgiveness places over us. And here's what forgiveness demands from us, that we are willing to carry burdens, absorb people's debts, cancel their debt, assume their debt, wear the wounds that they have inflicted upon us, wear those under the grace of Jesus. So, So can I ask you the question? Is the way you forgive people sacrificial? I mean, is it sacrificial? Are you suffering in that? Because we all ought to be. It's sacrificial. Is yours? How about this one? Is your forgiveness surprising? I mean, the way you forgive people, would it like give people pause as they look at that? Like, how in the world can that person forgive that thing? How how can, how can his posture, her posture towards that person be, be compassionate? How is he not clubbing that person to death right now in his heart? I mean, is is your, is is your forgiveness surprising? Is it shocking? Can can I just tell you this? That I think one of your God-given and greatest gospel displays that God will give you in this life is going to be through how you forgive people. It was C.S. Lewis that said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. I mean, that's surprising when people forgive the inexcusable, isn't it? To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because, listen to this, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, Right? So are we forgiving in that sort of way, in shocking ways, in gospel-displaying ways, like, like gospel-shocking, gospel, are you serious? He's forgiving, those sort of ways. Does that characterize you? And let me ask you this one. Does your posture towards people that have wronged you and, and, and wounded you, is it compassionate? Maybe you could ask that same question this way. Do you have grudges against people? Okay, now, now I want to I want to be sensitive as I say this, but I, I want you to know this: a grudge is sinful. It's sinful. You could also say bitterness is sinful, resentment, sinful. They're all synonymous. Are you holding grudges against people? Like right now, when when you think of someone, um, would it make you happy if, if they were unhappy? Was it would it satisfy you if they failed? Right. This is how you know if you've got grudges going on. When you think about them, when their name comes up, her name comes up, you've got a club that you instantly go to work with. Now, is that happening towards anyone? Now, and listen, when we talk about this posture of compassion, let me just remind you that the way God forgives us, it's not conditional upon what they do. The posture is not. Reconciliation someday, that's totally conditioned upon their repentance. But your posture toward them of compassion, of dropping the club, letting go of the grudge, that is completely upon your view of God your view of the gospel. Any grudges in the room? Any of us that need to let go of some grudges? And we'll um, end by this. And I want to just remind you of this again. This is the reason we kind of set up the whole talk this way. But forgiveness is grounded in the gospel. See, when Paul says in Ephesians 4 that you're, you're to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, I think part of what he means is your forgiveness is to mirror how God has forgiven you. But, but there's more to it. I think it's also this, that your forgiveness should be motivated by, moved by how God has forgiven you in Jesus. You see that? That, that we will never be these sort of forgiving people. Our church family will never be a forgiving faith family. Like this sort of forgiving faith family. We'll never be that until we start to live in and soak ourselves in and sit in the forgiveness of God given to us through the gospel. See, see, our forgiveness to, to other people is not grounded upon what they have done to us, but, uh, but in what Jesus has done for us. So that is huge that we start to get that, that our forgiveness toward other people, us being able to freely give it is completely dependent upon us living in and soaking our mind in and seeing how God has forgiven us. See, when we start to see the great debt that God canceled toward us, we can start to cancel other people's debt. When we start to see how God has freely and finally and fully forgiven us, then it frees us so that we can start to forgive other people in that way. So that we can start to suffer in that forgiveness. So we can start to surprise in that forgiveness. See, our forgiveness in this church family is completely dependent upon us remembering, us seeing all that God has done for us in Jesus. And conversely, if we are unforgiving people, it's because we are forgetful people. Let me read this quote to you by Paul Tripp. He says it this way. A lifestyle of unforgiveness, listen to this, is rooted in the sin of forgetfulness. We forget that there is not a day in our lives that we do not need to be forgiven. We forget that we will never graduate from our need for grace. We forget that we have been loved with a love we could never earn, achieve, or deserve. We forget that God never mocks our weakness, never finds joy in throwing our failures in our face, never threatens to turn his back on us, and never makes us buy our way back into his favor when you remember when you when you carry with you a deep appreciation for the grace that has been given you will have a heart that is ready to forgive that doesn't mean that the process will be comfortable or easy but it will mean that you can approach your needy spouse your crazy neighbor your weird coworker, that person that friend that has deeply wounded you you can approach them remembering that you are just as in need of what you're about to give to him and her do you see that one of my favorite, just little short passages in the, in the Bible is in Luke 18. And you can just imagine the scene. Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, how often, seriously, how often do I have to forgive people? And uh, Jesus looks at him and he tells a story in response to his question. And he says, um, there was once a king. And he looked around and he had this person in great debt to him. He was in a debt of 10,000 talents. Now that is like an incomprehensible amount. One talent equals 20 years wage. 10,000 20 years wages. I don't even have any idea what that would measure up to in today's standard. It's it's insurmountable. You can't pay that off. That's the point. So so he's got this guy that's got this huge debt and and he's about to make the guy pay or he's going to throw him in prison, sell his family into slavery. And so um, the the man pleads for the life of his family, for his sons and daughters, his wife, pleads for his own life, and he's not thrown into prison, and the king forgives him. This is a picture of our forgiveness in the gospel. Insurmountable debt, the king says, you're forgiven. And then in an ironic twist, the guy turns around, he's looking around, he's like, man, there's some people with these small debts against me. That guy right there owes me a 100 denarii. A denarii was a one day's wage. He owes him three months wage. Not... 20, or 10,000 times 20 years wages, three months wage. He, he owes me a three months wage. And, and he says, pay up. And the guy pleads for his life, the life of this family. Don't throw me into prison. And the guy throws him into prison. And I'm reading that thinking, that is so often me. That is so often us. We have been forgiven this insurmountable debt and we lose sight of that. We forget that and we start trying to claim and we start trying to kind of pull in all of these small debts that people have accrued against us. So, so may God help us see the insurmountable debt, the great debt that Jesus has said is clean. You're forgiven. I have assumed your note. And may that free this faith family to recklessly and radically extend that sort of forgiveness. Amen? May we be those sort of people, so grounded in the gospel that it becomes so natural for us to suffer as we forgive people. Let's pray together. What a great picture of the gospel. That God forgives us with an aggressive forgiveness. He runs off the porch. He he literally wraps himself in skin, comes down to earth in the form of a man to accomplish your forgiveness. It's sacrificial. That man, Jesus, God in the flesh, crawled up on the cross, and there on the cross, he absorbed all of your wrongs in his wounds. It is shocking. We didn't deserve it. We could never earn it. We've done everything in our power to disqualify ourselves from it, but God lavishes it upon us. He's prodigal. He's reckless in the way he gives it. In the gospel, we have a God with a compassionate heart toward us. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, God is kind to us. God is gracious to us. God can forgive us. And oh, the fruit of that forgiveness as it welcomes people into the family of God. And maybe you're here today, you've never stepped across the line of faith. There's never been a moment in your life where you've held up your hands and said, God, save me. I trust you and I treasure you. I desire you above all things, save me. Man, the free and final and full forgiveness of God is available to you. And for those of us in the room who are adopted sons of God, he, he's brought in the wayward son, He's brought in the wayward. We're, we're in the house. We're with God. Oh my God, give us a great willingness to extend that same forgiveness. So, so how are we doing there? Anybody in your life that needs to be forgiven, that, that your, your posture toward them needs to change? no longer clubbing them in your heart, but actually compassionate toward them? How are we doing in our marriages in the room? In our families? Within our church family? Any relationships gradually cooling off? Are we assertive in that, sacrificial in that, surprising in the way we forgive? So God, we, we ask you to, to meet us here in, in a powerful way. God, I know that across this room, The suffering of forgiveness is deep and it is dark for many of us in here. And so God, I pray for great grace to be able to forgive parents, moms, dads, sons, daughters, friends, coworkers, neighbors. God, will you give us that sort of grace to forgive? God, may we be a forgiving family. God, will you press the the gospel so deeply into us that forgiveness comes out? God, will our minds be so soaked and so saturated with how you, the Father, has forgiven us, your wayward sons and daughters, that we would freely and graciously extend that. So God, will you do that among us? Will you do that here? God, I pray that, I pray that we would see grace as amazing and that our giving of grace would be amazing. So, God, by your spirit, God, I pray, press these things down. I pray pray that you would make this a fruitful moment for us. It is in your great and good name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.